This is the Creative and Cultural Podcast. Dedicated to creative collaboration and cultural innovation, we ask community leaders to share stories about business, history, technology, and the arts. This episode was recorded live at the 1888 Center, located in the historic district of Old Town Orange, California. Chapters is a five-part 1888 Center podcast series dedicated to stories surrounding the exclusion, forced removal, and internment of Japanese Americans. The program also parallels a narrative thread through deferred action for childhood arrivals. Chapters is supported by the California Civil Liberties Public Education Program, administered by the California State Library. Mary, it's good to have you on. Thank you very much for inviting me. Absolutely. Um, let's begin a little bit about with your background, actually, and, and link us into today's situation. Can you tie together your work with historian, as a historian, as a journalist, and how we got here? Sure. Well, I, um, as, as mentioned, I have a background in uh, journalism um, and photography and minor studies in anthropology. Uh, so as a journalist, uh, you're writing uh, about the human condition. Uh, past and current events, and all of that plays into what I'm doing today to try and tell the story of historic Wintersburg. Um, When I first began identifying the site in the the mid-1980s and started my research, we reached a point then in, in around 2011 where I realized that people simply didn't know what the place was, and I needed to put uh, faces to the, to the six structures on the site. I needed to tell the story. Um, but you have that moment where you wonder, um, what can I do? I'm just one person. And, and my, my background, my skill um, is in writing. So I began to tell the story. Gotcha. What, um, well, let's begin with, with that story. Maybe we can go there. What is the unique story of Historic Wintersburg? So Historic Wintersburg is named after Wintersburg Village, uh, which was an unincorporated area in what is now North Huntington Beach. It began developing in the late 1800s, and it was named after Henry Winters, who had gone to the uh, exposition, the World Exposition uh, in Chicago, Columbian Exposition. Uh, and promoted Orange County and the farmland. And people were so happy with what he did, they named it Wintersburg Village. Um, historic Wintersburg is, was originally a five-acre parcel. It's now roughly four and a half acres as streets have widened over the years. Um, it was purchased in 1908 uh, by Charles Baruta uh, with the Reverend uh, Terasawa. Uh, with the understanding that Charles would develop the farmland and then a corner of the property would be set aside for the Wintersburg Japanese mission. Uh, the property today still has six structures. It is, the majority of the structures are over 100 years old. Uh, three of the structures are associated with the Wintersburg Japanese mission, which was founded in 1904 in Orange County and three of the structures are associated with the Furuta uh, goldfish farm. Yeah, uh, can you tell us about that? What is, what is this? So 
the, the Charles Feruda uh, began uh, when he got the property in 1908, um, which is an important time period because it preceded California's alien land laws of 1913 and 1920. Um, one of the things that makes this property rare is it is one of the only Japanese-owned properties left uh, in this area. Um, after 1913, Japanese pioneers were prohibited from, from buying and owning land. Uh, he began farming some of that land, but he also farmed um, other people's farms uh, to earn money, to earn income, so that he could continue to develop his property. Um, after he went, uh, he had arrived in uh, the United States in 1900. Um, in 1912, he went back to Japan to meet his wife, and when he brought her back to the States, they be continued developing the farm, and by 1917, which is the earliest I can find, they began experimenting with a goldfish pond. Ah. And by the 1920s, the majority of the property was covered with goldfish ponds, um, some very exotic species, some of the you know, more common species that you'd find today. Uh, and they were selling them. This is the same time period where you, some of the, the large drugstore chains started to develop, and they started having little pet departments and having the little goldfish in the bowl. And then some businesses would give you a goldfish if you opened a bank account or you got a set of encyclopedia, that kind of thing. Um, what he found was that they were pretty easy to raise, uh, and he began adding more ponds, and so then we have, by the 1920s, the majority of the property covered with the, with the ponds. Wow. So how does Wintersburg present a unique version of heritage and, and history in this way? So, as I mentioned, that it is one of the few remaining pre-alien land law properties, so a Japanese-owned property prior to California's alien land laws of 1913 and 1920. Uh, it is virtually untouched. The six structures on the site, uh, you know, remain intact, mm -hmm. um, extant, and the rest of the property is open farmland um, and goldfish ponds. And then later, after World War II, um, there was flower farming. They they went to flower farming. All the uses on the site are pretty shallow. Um, so in terms of a site that has remained, you know, hidden and intact in Orange County, it's pretty remarkable on its own just for that. Um, the fact that it's Japanese-owned uh, makes it one of the rare pre-alien land law properties. And then we have the events of World War II, uh, because everyone associated with this property, uh, the Furuta family, uh, the Wintersburg Japanese Mission clergy, uh, and the entire congregation, uh, were forcibly removed and incarcerated uh, due to their Japanese ancestry. Uh, Charles Furuta and then the clergy at the time, Reverend Sohei Kauta, uh, were interrogated on the property by the FBI before, uh, before Charles Furuta was arrested. Um, by 1942, this time period, 19, end of 1941, 1942, uh, most of the Japanese Americans in Orange County had been removed from Japan at least a generation, if not two or three. Um, Japanese pioneers first arrived in California in the um, 1860s. Uh, more began arriving in the 1880s. And so you have several generations that were removed from the changes in Japan, the politics in Japan, 
And so what makes this property significant then is this is that story of Americans uh, who faced uh, one of our country's greatest uh, civil liberties injustices. I see. Can you, so I'm, I'm trying to picture the, the situation with histor historic Wintersburg in the city. How has it changed with or with not or without uh, It the is city? currently fenced. Okay. The buildings are boarded up. Um, it, ha like, as I said, it's currently untouched. Um, in uh, 2011, 2012, uh, we began really mobilizing our efforts to, to raise the issue, to try and explain what the property is. Um, we currently are negotiating uh, with the property owner to purchase the property. Um, it's had a change of ownership. A bigger company bought the smaller company that, that owned it. Um, and as Huntington Beach, if you know anyone drives around Huntington Beach, you can see you know it's been part of the the development and the urbanization of Orange County. It's really grown by a minor miracle or a major miracle. This property remained untouched. Wow, that's oh, so. Is there something that you would, I guess, uh, preview with us with to if we were going to go visit this place? What would we need to know to right. appreciate and well, the vision for the property is um, to stabilize and preserve the six structures on the site, to clean up and re-green the property, um, to do historic interpretation to tell the story of Japanese pioneers um, to the west coast of this country, to tell the story of the early agriculture of Orange County, which was the you know, major economic engine that's made Orange County what it is today, uh, to tell the bigger story of immigration uh, to America. Uh, we often hear the story of uh, pioneers who came to California in covered wagons from the east, coming from the east. We have a different story in California of all the pioneers who came across the Pacific Ocean. Uh, beginning in the mid, you know, 19th century, you know, the Chinese and then the Japanese. And so we have a much richer story to tell. And then to tell the story of um, exclusion, discrimination. These are difficult histories, um, but part of the American story. Uh, what did they face? Um, how did they overcome that? How did they persevere? Uh, and then after World War II incarceration, you have this tremendous story of civil liberties injustice and what happened there. Then post-World War II, this remarkable story of people who returned home because this was their home uh, and began creating a new life again, began restoring what they had, creating a new life. And then where they are today, because if you look at the descendants of the Furuta family today, three generations later, um, they were able to achieve the American dream, as we talk about it, uh, go on to college, uh, have professional positions, uh, achieve success, uh, which is a remarkable story when you consider obstacle after obstacle after obstacle that was, that was put in their way. I see. To, to dial it specifically back to the purpose of the podcast with Japanese-American internment, yes. what, is, what is the relationship here with Historic Wintersburg? Yes. So one of the things that I wanted to do is explain the terminology. So you'll hear me use the word incarceration. 
Um, the majority of people confined during World War II uh, were US-born citizens. And so the word incarceration is more appropriate. Uh, there were some who were interned, and those were first generation, or the Issei, who, because they were prohibited from becoming US citizens, were then classified um, after Pearl Harbor as enemy alien. And then they were confined at you know, military or Department of Justice prison camps. And so the correct term there would be internment. And as I mentioned, everyone associated with this property, um, all Japanese Americans, because you have the fruit of family who owned the property, the Wintersburg Japanese Mission, both the clergy and the congregation were all Japanese American. Um, every single one of them then was forcibly removed and, and incarcerated during World War II. I see. So now, what does, what does this, um, what, are the, what do efforts look like to preserve a history like this? And can you tell us some of that situation contemporary? Yes. Um, it has been a long road, and we have more to go. We have further to go. Um, we, as I mentioned, there's been a change of ownership with the property. We are in negotiations with the current owner. Uh, when we began trying to explain to people what this property was, we reached out to the National Park Service. Um, they sent representatives to inspect the property and confirm what we had found in earlier records, that it's eligible for the National Register. Um, criteria A, which would be Japanese American Settlement of the American West. We then partnered also with the National Trust for Historic Preservation and the Trust for Public Land. Uh, those negotiations with the current property are ongoing. Uh, our, our position has always been that we would uh, either lease or buy the property, whatever the property owner was open to. And then once we get to that point of ownership and access, roll up our sleeves, we've got these national partners with expertise, then we begin the work of uh, clearing some of the brush from the property, uh, working on stabilizing the buildings. Um, as I mentioned, uh, the majority are over 100 years old. Preserving them and then opening the property up for use. Um, we have partnered uh, more recently with um, Orange Coast Gakuen. Uh, Gakuen is the Japanese word for school, and they are a Japanese language school that has actually operated in Huntington Beach for about 42 years, over 42 years. And the story of the Japanese language schools is connected to this mission because it actually established the very first four Japanese language schools in different parts of Orange County in the early 1900s. During, after Pearl Harbor, some of the first people arrested were the teachers at the Japanese language schools, along with the clergy of, you know, whether you were Buddhist or Christian, uh, and community leaders such as Charles Furuta, who owned a property and ha happened to be that year the president of the Japanese Association. Uh, after World War II, uh, you people return, a lot of those schools were lost. They never reestablished. And so our hope is to have Orange Coast Gakuen join us on the property. Uh, they teach Japanese language to all grade levels. Uh, they do uh, cultural or, or heritage classes. And so they will do some of the programming that shares, you know, that's part of the history of the site, but also part of the culture of the people who, who own the property. Yeah, calls back on the immediate roots. Full circle, T comes totally. full circle. How, yeah. Apart from bringing in 
partners to reestablish and reinvigorate that history, what else would it take to ver make this uh, an established historic position and, and I guess, fortify the, the grounds? Once we gain ownership, uh, then we would complete the application to have it formally listed on the National Register of Historic Places. Um, it's already designated a national treasure, and there's less than 100 of national treasures in the entire country. Uh, what it will take is, after we have this agreement to purchase, is uh, major fundraising. Uh, the Trust for Public Land, uh, their role is to assist in the purchase of the property. Uh, so the passage of Prop 68 in June was very beneficial for us because some, a majority of funding will come from that for the purchase of the property. Uh, we will also then, um, after there's a formal agreement signed, be doing major fundraising because it will take a fundraising effort uh, to restore each of the six buildings to clean up the property. We also will be looking for expertise and volunteers in different aspects of the preservation. Uh, people who are, you know, we, we have contacts of people who are historic preservation architects. But we're going to be looking for people who want to contribute time and help on, on restoring the cultural landscape and opening up the area for, for parkland. Uh, we'll probably have hands-on opportunities for people who can uh, help us in restoring the buildings, you know, other aspects of that. Um, Preservation takes money, and so we will be looking for partners and people who, who want to be part of helping save Orange County's first and only national treasure. Brilliant. Um, and, and as far as you understand the situation, why is this more, more uh, it strikes me as almost like a secret of Orange County. Can you elaborate on some of that uh, cover-up? What I found, I first noticed the property in the mid-1980s. Um, I was stopped in traffic and noticed a cornerstone on the older of the mission buildings, which is the 1934 church building. And the cornerstone says, um, you know, Japanese Presbyterian Church, 1934. I knew the history of what had happened to Japanese Americans on the West Coast, and of course, being a former journalist, I, my immediate thought was, wow, there's a story. And I pulled off the street and went around the property and took a look, and then over the years began researching it. And what I found was the Japanese-American community, the Japanese pioneers, and there was a thriving Japanese pioneer community in Orange County, was not mentioned in the official histories of Huntington Beach. Uh, and in most of the cities that I've looked at in Huntington Beach, it just wasn't included. Um, I was able to find some documents and then find some oral histories that had been tucked away in the archives um, at Cal State Fullerton, uh, the Center for Oral and Public History. And they had interviewed people in the 1980s for the Japanese American Project, and some of them related directly to Wintersburg Village. And so I began researching those and digging up more history and then taking bits of information from that and cross-referencing it, cross it with other documents, old newspapers, that sort of thing. And I've gone to different universities, including in Arizona, to look through their archives where there's documents on the camps. One of the reasons why this is hidden history and why it was erased has everything to do with the fallout uh, from World War II. Um, because as diverse as Orange County really was in the early 1900s, 
Um, we have to go back in time and remember that when events began to unfold after Pearl Harbor, um, and I, I talked to people about the fact that there were people who stood up for Japanese Americans. The Santa Ana Register, which is today's Orange County Register, one of the, one of the few newspapers in the country to oppose the forced removal and incarceration. They stood up for the Japanese American community. Um, but it was bigger than most people could handle. People didn't question their government at that time. And everyone had this level of acceptance that, well, I, I guess this is what we have to do. We keep uncovering more history and we find more and more about people who opposed it, who stood up for it. Uh, and including Japanese Americans in the camps who, who questioned what was happening. Um, but what you see also is, and this is talked about a lot in this history, is that there was a generation there that went um, fairly silent because when you, and I, I, there were also German and Italian immigrants who were classified, non-citizens, non classified enemy aliens who were put in different camps. And one of them uh, used, and there's a very long German word for it uh, in the camp, they described it as fence sickness, that you go into the camp knowing that you're innocent, knowing that you did nothing wrong, and then every day you look at this you know, fence with barbed wire, and there's a guard tower, and the guns are pointed in, and it begins to have a psychological effect. It is, it is traumatizing. Uh, and when people were able to leave uh, and come home, you know, 1945, um, very few would talk about it. Very few wanted to talk about it. it. There was an attitude that we need to just recover what we can and get on with it. And so there's a lot of lost history in communities uh, but also what I find is that there are also families who are piecing together pieces of information because we don't think about this aspect. Uh, the things we take for granted, uh, scrapbooks, photos, family heirlooms, all the, people lost all of that. They were, you know, they were very limited in what they could take with them to camp. And some places where they attempted to store their belongings, they weren't there when they got back, in some places, they didn't return to get them because the camp experience was such that they just said, no, I'm, I'm going elsewhere. And so you have a loss of some bits and pieces of family history, uh, some understanding. And I often talk to people who are saying, hey, if you ever come across this name or if you ever find out where this is, you know, can you keep an eye out for this? So as a country, and as, you know, we are still in the process of people coming home from that experience. We're still in the process of uncovering the history, and we are still finding new documents that keep adding to the story and giving us a, a better understanding of why so much of it was erased. I would also add that during that time period, a lot of properties also, Japanese American-owned properties, were lost to vandalism and fire. Uh, and you had events like that happening. And then you also, after World War II, you had just the urbanization. And there was a time period where people didn't recognize, you know, this might be important, we should save this. Yeah, you know, yeah. they were just building like gangbusters in Orange County. Sure. And so you, you layer that over this particular history and, and 
the, a lot of it's been lost. I understand. Okay. I want to, I will soon ask about what kind of tool or something you can offer the audience about how to be involved or learn more, but do you want to take this opportunity and is there anything you feel you want to say while we have this platform? I think that um, one of the things that people can do in their own communities is take that first step of learning about your community's history. Um, find what's out there in sort of the official histories. Has there ever been a book published about your community? You know, start with the basics. Um, I am a contributing historian and writer for um, a free app that you can download on your phone called the Clio, um, T-H-E-C-L-I-O. And I encourage people to download that app. Um, it has uh, GPS, it has images, it gives a summary of the history. It will find your location and then immediately pull up the history that's right around you that you may not know about or, or may sometimes no longer exist. And then it will identify your location and it can take you to it, whether you walk to it or drive to it. Um, I've added uh, the two properties associated, well, the two parts of the property associated with historic Wintersburg and some other Huntington Beach properties. I've also added um, some of the um, confinement sites, the camps in different states, um, added more information to those. And on it, I've also created what, they, what I call the journey of Charles Peruta, who was the owner of the historic Wintersburg property that takes you from that property, from his arrest and where he was taken uh, to Tunic Canyon in Los Angeles County, and then where he was taken to uh, uh, military DOJ you know, camps in New Mexico, and then, where, and then after a period of time where he was then taken to the camp in Arizona to join his family and then back to what is now Huntington Beach, you can, you can sort of see this journey of where they went. So I would recommend downloading that app. Um, once you sort of learn some of the basics, um, I would say go to your local library and ask, you know, are there any oral histories for this area? Find out what's out there. Uh, if for the... For the price of, you know, a few a few weeks or a month or two of of coffees from your favorite barista, uh, you can get a subscription to newspapers.com, and a lot of newspapers are digitized now. And I think people would find it fascinating to go through. And some of them, we have newspapers digitized on that platform that go back some to the 1700s and the 1800s. Find out what's in your area. Um, and pick a time period and start going through those newspapers. And I, I guarantee you, you'll find some aspect of history that no one has written about, that you didn't know. You'll uncover something. Um, and there's an opportunity there, because I tell people there is, there is so much out there uh, to uncover. So I think those are some basic things I would recommend. Just get yourself started and, and find out what's out there. Definitely, yeah. That app sounds fantastic. Uh, a, a personal tour, it seems, for all the histor historic points across anywhere. Yes. Brilliant. Yes. Okay. Um, let's move to uh, any public questions. Um, but let's actually first, let's thank Mary for visiting real quick. Thank you very yeah. much. <laughs> Thank you.
Thank you for listening to the Creative and Cultural Podcast. The show is produced by Heritage Future. Our music is composed and performed by Dan Record. Support our mission by subscribing, reviewing, or donating today. Stay connected at heritagefuture.org.